come back to WVU and it's like the sun opened up. I, I really liked it. I started liking it. I liked the Mountain State. My roommate was from Fairmont, a bunch of guys from Charleston, uh, folks in both panhandles. And I, I, you know, I went hunting in West Virginia. I went down to Charleston a couple of times, regatta. I just ended up really falling in love with the state and still feel extremely relaxed when I go back there. Uh, you know, you come in, you see the sign, it says wild, wonderful West Virginia. I tell you, my blood pressure goes down and it's, it's, the state's beautiful. I do, I, I, the state's beautiful, but the people are, are a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. All right, Mountaineer Media Podcast fans, welcome to another episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. And CJ, we had on a guest today named Dennis Gillen, who is a mental health expert and a suicide prevention specialist. He is a, an individual who went to West Virginia University. So much of his journey in his life was impacted during his time at West Virginia University. But in this episode, we speak about a very, very important subject, and that is mental health, and that is suicide prevention. And he is an expert in that realm. And I think just, you know, let's take all take a breather, guys. During quarantine, this has been a stressful time globally for everyone. Um, I, you know, we felt this episode was, was right on. Um, you know, on par with what we want to try to do. We want to try to uh, spread positive, um, you know, good information, helping our state grow and be a, a healthier, more successful state. So this certainly felt like a good fit. We are introduced to Dennis from our one of our previous guests, Michael Salarchek. So shout out, Mike. Uh, CJ, I enjoyed it. What were your some, some of your thoughts? Yeah, and you just kind of touched on it there. He, he's a fun guy. I mean, energetic, you know, outgoing right out of the gate he had us laughing and and kind of just you know enjoying ourselves like this is a very serious topic but he knew how to make it a little more comfortable to talk about and to open up about and again an entertaining guy this is well well worth a listen it is a heavy topic a deep topic one that kind of weighs on you after uh, the podcast ends but certainly something that's worth discussing and uh, we hope you enjoy this one and let's get to it mace hit the music does not always shine West in West Virginia, but the people always do. I know of no state, and I know this state well, whose people feel more strongly, who have a greater sense of pride in themselves, in their state, and in their country than the people of West Virginia. All right, Mountaineer Media Podcast fans, welcome to another episode. Uh, Cooper here with my partner in crime, CJ Harvey. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Dennis Gillen, and he is a mental health liaison currently at South Carolina Department of Health, uh, but is connected to West Virginia and is rocking his West Virginia gear now as we're looking at each other here on Zoom. So Dennis, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Gentlemen, thanks for having me. And I appreciate you taking a uh a look at this issue. You, you, you touched on it right there. And when I, you said the South Carolina Department of Mental Health, I also speak about mental health advocate. Um, I went to WVU as a business major and life has a funny way of taking twists and turns. And now I am, um, I guess, a, a real proponent of mental health and the issues that come with that. 
So thank you for taking on this topic. Absolutely. I mean, and Dennis, we, you know, we were talking here before the phone call how important, um, you know, mental health right now during COVID, a lot of people are cooped up, which can create stress and anxiety. And from that, the ripple effects of, of you know, maybe bottled up tension. Um, maybe, but before we get into that, maybe start it for our listeners to have a little bit more context. Start us from the beginning. Where are you originally from? And then how did you end up uh, going to West Virginia University? Um, and then eventually now down in South Carolina? That's a great story because I, um, I, I started my whole life, uh, I lived in New York and uh, born in Brooklyn. We moved to the suburbs of the city, knew little or nothing about West Virginia, the state I've come to love. And my dad knew some alumni that went to WVU. So I'm an impressionable 17-year-old kid looking at colleges. And my dad knew these guys and they, they were making big bucks. So I'm like, hey, I want to go there. If, that, if, that be, if that's the path, you go to the view and you make big bucks. Hey, count me in. Um, so we went on a visit uh, out there. You know, it's a little far from New York, probably seven and a half, eight hours. I wasn't too sold on it. Had the girlfriend back home and all that other good stuff. So I go out there and like it. And from a out-of-state perspective, and this is something that's attractive to uh out-of-state students, it was, it was a reasonable price. You know, as we all know, college prices have gone through the roof. But at the time I graduated, I was there for 81, 85. And I like the joke, that was just my freshman year. No, <laughs> no, it was a good four years, but it was affordable too. So my parents said, of all the choices I had, they said, if you went that way, it would be best for everybody. Financially, you, I think they wanted me eight hours away. Um, yeah, and so it worked out. So my first semester, I go there. I don't really like it. Uh, again, the, the, the girlfriend back home, she went to school in Connecticut. I go home over Christmas. She breaks up with me. <laughs> Her loss. <laughs> I keep telling myself that. No, And then um, I come back to WVU, and it's like the sun opened up. I, I really liked it. I started liking it. I liked the Mountain State. My roommate was from Fairmont. A bunch of guys from Charleston. Uh, folks in both panhandles and I, I you know I went hunting in West Virginia I went down to Charleston a couple of times regatta I just ended up really falling in love with the state and still feel extremely relaxed when I go back there uh, you know you come in you see the sign it says wild wonderful West Virginia I tell you my blood pressure goes down and it's it's the state's <laughs> beautiful I do I the state's beautiful but the people are are beautiful. Mm -hmm. I've met nothing but straight shooters from West Virginia. Now, you all know this. West Virginia is the butt of every joke on the planet, especially if you get around the D.C. area where those elitist snobs live. Do we know anyone like that on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I don't not at all. No, no, no. Yeah, but it's, it's a wonderful state, and I think people just need to go see it and, and deal with the people. And it's funny, the story happened recently. I, I live in South Carolina, and this guy comes in. I work part-time at a tennis shop just for my mental health it's a place where I go to play and this guy comes in he's super nice and he sees I have a West Virginia shirt on and he goes hey I grew up there and in my head in my head I said I knew it I knew it he was such a great guy I'm like just a straight shooter never gives me any crap I'm like yeah I knew it. it it just fit he goes I like the guy he goes hey, I'm from West Virginia I just went yep makes sense good guy that's been my experience and yeah, and that, that's a good point because we we got referred to you from uh, an early guest on our podcast, Michael Stolarchek, and you know he was uh, from more from West Virginia, more of a West Virginia growing up and whatnot. But I think it create and then you guys came together. You met at West Virginia University your freshman year. It it creates 
lifelong friendships and something about West Virginia when you're there, even from people like, like you already mentioned, like you already knew that guy when he walked in the shop, he was from like a West Virginia type of person. It, it feels like everyone there is amongst friends and amongst family. And then if, even if you leave the state, which is important because I've, you know, I don't technically still live in the state, even though my parents are still there. I'm still very active. It, it's a, it's hard to describe the the type of relationship other West Virginians have with each other. I mean, and, and that goes out like no matter where you go in the world. It's a tight group. And I love when I wear my WVU gear, someone inevitably come up to me, someone real nice and um, say something. And, um, positive light you know where you're from it's 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 like a really tight group you know they talk about the six degrees of separation i think in west virginia it's like three you know it doesn't take long <laughs> it's just real short but <laughs> and it's it's a good it's it's a good group of you know that state has found a way to my heart so i'm an outsider coming in and i still go back there and speak on occasion before the corona hit and um i love going back there and um it's it, it, it earned a special place in my heart, the, the state, the beautiful uh, nature of the state and the beautiful nature of the people. Yeah. Um, do you remember, were there, when you, were there things that, that you remember the most? I mean, was it, what did you enjoy about Morgantown and coming to West Virginia? Cause for you, that was, that was your time frame in West Virginia. I mean, spending time at WVU, you know, what, what in that window did you kind of, do you look back on and remember the most? I remember uh, spending countless hours at the library. That's that's, it. that's that in case was a, that was yeah. just in case my kids are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Everything no, else from here on out, we'll edit out. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. We're good. Uh, no, I remember just yeah. I remember going down. I used to take trips because when I was eight hours away, I couldn't go home for those three day weekends. So somebody would adopt me. I remember my freshman roommate was a guy named Joe Fox. His, his, his dad was a judge in Fairmont and he would take me down to Fairmont. We'd go down there, you know, for the three-day weekend. Then another guy, uh, Danny Smithson, lived down in Charleston. He would take me back to his house and a couple guys would take me to Pittsburgh. That whole region, um, which is, you know, forged with these lifelong you know, relationships. And you guys were joking about earlier, before the podcast started, where we stayed, I lived on Dadisman Hall at WVU. And I remember the, the welcome reception I got there. At first, I was in extended housing. And then I ended up on the floor where your previous guest was, Mike Stolarczyk. Um, and we became fast friends. And last year, before the corona, and this was going to be an annual event, you have West Virginia Day in June. And a mm -hmm. bunch of us went back. Uh, when I say a bunch, about... 10 to 12 guys went back to WVU that lived on the freshman floor. It wasn't like a club. It wasn't a fraternal, you know, outing. It was, these are guys that lived on this floor. This is how tight we were. And 12, wow. to, you know, 12 to 15 guys ended up coming back and we talked in to someone in student affairs and they let us back into Dadisman on a Saturday. They opened That's up the awesome. door. It was awesome. <laughs> we went back up to the floor. We went back to our rooms. The rooms were all locked, but we reminisced. And it was so funny walking down that hallway. And we're sitting there going, hey, when was the last time we were here? 38 years later. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we come bopping down the hall. And I'm there with my freshman roommate. And it was just hilarious. <laughs> Took a picture in front of our door. Yeah, uh, the joke is that it looked the same. <laughs> nothing changed, man. Nothing changed. The old slow elevator, that green, ugly tile. You know, nothing changed in Dadisman. It was unbelievable. It was like going through a time warp, you know. Yeah. We're time so, still. So this, you, you went to West Virginia. You're there. You had envisions of being um, going on to be this 
venture capitalist money, like you said. What changed in college? You were a business major. Did you stick with that? What What was your college experience like, and how did that transition to what you do now? Sure, I was a uh, you know business major, uh, accounting with an emphasis on accounting, and um, junior year things kind of took a turn for the worse. I was uh, home uh, at my apartment on Sixth Sixth Street. And I remember this, I got a phone call, it was a Wednesday. I remember at school you had tests, like they all piled on. It was a week of tests, you know, every mm-hmm. two tests the next day, it was Wednesday. And my sister called and she said, Dennis, um, Mark died in a car accident. I'm one of five kids. And back home was Sheila, Mark, me, I'm in the middle, then Janice and Matthew. And Janice was on the phone saying, Dennis, you need to come home. My older brother, Mark, died in a car accident. That's what they told me. They just wanted me to get home. What really happened um, was Mark battled depression for years and, and Mark died by suicide. Mm-hmm. So right, that's October of my junior year. So pretty much halfway point on my WVU career, right in the middle, I lose my older brother. Um, and I go home on a Thursday. I got that call Wednesday. I got back Thursday, funeral, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, I'm back in Morgantown. And we pretend nothing ever happens. And I did some negative coping skills. Now as a mental health advocate, I know the difference between positive coping skills and negative coping skills. I go back to Morgantown. The drinking age was 18. I was 20. No laws were broken. I started drinking a lot. A lot. I was already drinking plenty. And then I just upped my game. And um, I I barely squeaked out of there and went back home um, sort of a broken man because of the loss of my brother. Wow. So what um, was, what was the next step then? You didn't cope with it well early. How did you, where did you find the solace and how did you cope with it after graduation? Well, it's, it's, I, I kind of withdrew and that's one of the warning signs with anyone going through a mental health crisis. They withdraw and isolate. I cut ties with WVU. I cut ties with my fraternity, the guys in my freshman floor. I just kind of went into uh, my little work mode or whatever and didn't talk about my brother. I ended up scoring a, a really good job with Merck Pharmaceuticals um, as a pharmaceutical rep in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, not too far from the view. And I, I was in striking distance. Now I'm half, I cut the trip in half. I still didn't go back much. Um, I, uh, I got married and, and please forgive me. She went to the university of Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Who like that slot? Let that slide. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, let, I let her know right off the bat. And that marriage didn't work, so it wasn't meant to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we laugh now, don't we? 25 years. So I'm in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I'm doing okay. I'm still drinking a lot. And you ask, what, what happened? How did I change? I, I had to learn my lessons hard. Uh, we didn't talk about Mark. And 11 years after I lost my brother Mark um, in a drunken stupor with access to lethal means, I lost my brother Matthew to suicide as well. And that's two. And folks, we get 48,000, over 48,000 a year. One is too many. One is way too many. And um, two will wreck you. That's a fact. And it, that that's the one that shocked me into like, holy crap. I felt extremely vulnerable. You know, when I was younger, and we all do this in college, you think we're bulletproof. Anything, we could do anything we want, try anything. We just do it reckless. You know, our brains aren't fully formed till what, 25, 26. We start seeing the big picture. Um, I was really reckless now. I'm 31. And I, I went back to Carlisle after that funeral. And I said, something's got to change. Something's got to change. So then I'm happy to report. Um, I sobered up. I stopped drinking. I got hammered the night of Matt's funeral. And this is what stares at me, guys, as we're doing the podcast. And that your, your listeners can't see that that's a picture of my brother and I, Matthew, at my, oh, wow. at my wedding. 
and that's that's one for the video but it's not good for the podcast but it stares at me every day um, I'm sober we ended up having a couple boys and we moved around a couple times I'm always running from my problems you know like trying to keep it in uh, typical guy mode I'm not gonna tell anybody so I moved to Chicago from Carlisle and I don't tell anybody um, what's going on uh, people ask me hey Dennis how many kids were in your family when I got to Chicago, I would say three. And you guys know, I already told you, it's five. I wouldn't even talk about Mark and Matthew. And then by luck or chance or a God wink, I don't know what happened. I was at this function at church and what happened, <laughs> we used to go, here's how where church worked for us then. We dropped the kids off downstairs and all the guys would sit around a table eating donuts and we called it, fellow, <laughs> we called it fellowship. <laughs> we would talk about football, we would talk about basketball, you know, we had a, you know, our fantasy football picks, we would just pretend we were talking about God. And then one day I come up the stairs after dropping the knuckleheads off downstairs and uh, the donuts are missing. And I, I said, what happened to the donuts? They said, oh, some lady took them upstairs. So I, I go, guys, I love you, but I'm starving. And I went upstairs and what happened was they had a community program and to get a donut, you had to sit through the program. I'm like, I could sit through anything for a donut, right? Uh, <laughs> history of the organ. All right, I'm in. <laughs> Give me a donut. This happened to be, um, this happened to be a woman was running the local suicide prevention lifeline. Now think about this. I'm sitting there. I got my donuts and this woman goes, today we're going to talk about suicide. I wanted to jump out of my chair. Mm -hmm. I wanted to leave, um, but I couldn't. They started and I was sitting strategically located near the donut table, but I'd have to walk right in front of this woman to leave. And it would be so obvious to the people there. Nobody knew my story. So on the way out, I grabbed her card. Her name is Stephanie Weber, still a dear friend to this day. And I ended up working on the suicide prevention lifeline. About a month later, this is a typical guy thing. I had the card staring at me on my desk. And I call her, call her, call her. And finally, I think I was ready. And I called her. I said, hey, I saw you speak a couple months ago. My name is Dennis Gillen, and I lost two brothers to suicide. And she's, she basically said, get your butt in here. And we talked and talked. She lost somebody to suicide, her dear mom. And we, she ended up giving me a slot on the lifeline after like 12 weeks of training. I got on the lifeline and Thursday nights, no matter where I was in the country, Thursday nights from 8 to 12, I would answer those calls for the 800-273 talk line for the Chicagoland area. So I was Marty on the line. I'm Dennis now, but I was Marty on the phone. That was my middle name. And um, off we went. That started this little healing process of trying to help people instead of having my own little pity party. And everybody gets to that point. You know, when you've been through some stuff, they call it redemptive healing. You'll come back and say, you know what? I can't, I can't let anyone else go through this. And it takes a long time. Don't rush it. And there's no formula. But um, if that started helping people, and no one in my neighborhood still didn't know what I did. I just leave the house at 7.30, come back about, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. And everybody can power through a Friday, right? You just have to power through and take a nap. And I, Thursday night shift was great for me. I'd power through Friday and then rest over the weekend for the sleep I lost. But it was some of the most rewarding work I ever did. Wow. Answering the phones. So, so then, so then, so you, you've had that like inflection moment. Now you feel like your life is starting to you move in a positive direction for your own mental health. Did then, did you just then kind of double down on, you know what? I almost like I found my calling is it, was that the feeling with it? And now like you're off and running because if I'm not mistaken, like you're, you're working with an official position within the South Carolina department of health, but you also, do you speak at like conventions or corporations or how, how did that like turn into a really 
staple of your professional adult life? Great question, Cooper. What happened there was um, I moved from Chicago to South Carolina, where I live now. And when I got to Columbia, South Carolina, there was only two call centers at the time. One was in Charleston, South Carolina. They have a Charleston here too. Charleston, South Carolina, and one was in Greenville, South Carolina. And they're about two hours away from my house. I couldn't do it. You know, you can't drive, take the calls and drive home two hours. So I got involved with the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, another great organization uh, that, you know, focuses on research, education, advocacy. And I started helping them a little bit by doing these walks, this out of the darkness walk they do. And I didn't want to do it. You know, passive aggressive guy. I signed up to do the walk and didn't want to do it. I would go to these board meetings they'd have. I'd eat a donut and grab a water. There's a theme here. I like donuts. And then <laughs> I, would, I would leave. I would just leave. And then finally, the woman who was executive director at the time says, Dennis, can you do something for the walk? Can you do something? You show up, you sit there. I'm having, again, quiet, passive aggressive. I signed up, didn't want to do it. And then finally, I went home that night and I wrote on the donor site, I could write a letter. You could personalize your page. They had a web page. You could personalize it. So I wrote this long letter about my brothers. And I'm going to tear up thinking about this. I just poured out my heart. I just said, this is it. This is what happened. And at the bottom of the donor page, it says, do you want to send this to your contacts? And I'm like, you know, I don't have that many people. Sure. I'm trying to raise a little money. So I sent it to the contacts and I used Gmail as my, I used Gmail as my email server and it counts anybody back then. It counted anybody you ever sent an email to as a contact. So I'm sitting there watching my computer and I'm like, wow, this has taken a long time. And says, congratulations, you sent out 1,700 emails. I'm like, cry. Reply all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, everyone has that guy at the office. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it went that way. So all of a sudden, this story went out, which was in my heart. You know, my st- I kept it contained, I thought. And then it, it went nuts. Um, mm-hmm. People started responding people started donating. So I didn't ask anybody for a dollar. I ended up with $10,000, you know, cause the wow. letter letter did all the work, but then I'd run into people like in the supermarket and they'd say, Dennis, I never knew about your brothers. I said, I never talked about them. Mm-hmm. And then they would tell me their story. The minute you, you open up that window and you're vulnerable, these wonderful people flow in. They said, you know, I remember this one woman told me about her, her first husband and how he died. You know, I'm like, wow. I didn't know that. She goes, well, I didn't know your story. And there we are in the supermarket hugging, you know, because we both fell for each other. So we're human. It happened. So I, I spoke at that one walk. I spoke at that walk. They said, Dennis, can you say a few words? I said, all right, five minutes. I said, I can do this. Yeah. So I spoke for five minutes. And right before I went on, they passed around this microphone. And everybody said the name of the loved one they lost. And I had to watch my mom pass the microphone. She couldn't say Mark or Matthew. She couldn't do it. And that's when you're grieving, you're all over the board free pass, right? We're cool with that. Mm-hmm. She passes the microphone to this woman. She says the name of her husband. I just moved to Columbia. I don't know anybody. I'm doing really good, right? I'm on next. Public speaking is the number one public fear, right? Number one fear. Death is number two, you know, which is weird. Um, I'm going next. I'm freaking out a little bit. I got to speak. I got to speak. I got to speak. I look up to see where the microphone is. This woman takes the microphone and goes to pass it around her kid. And her kid is having no part of it. This guy's like five or six years old. He pulls her arm down and the microphone ends up right in front of his mouth. And he says, my daddy. He says, my daddy. So I didn't know all those names, but I know my daddy. You know, that's what, that's what suicide meant to him. And that's why we got to talk about mental health and go upstream. We don't want to hear my daddy anymore. 
Mm-hmm. That kid, now I start crying. I just start crying. And then the microphone stops. I go, ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Gillen. And I go up there. I'm, thank God I had sunglasses on because they can't see that I'm like bawling at this point. That, that kid got me. Um, really, and my grief just jumped on me. I bumble through the five minutes and I sit down. And later on that day, some woman comes up to me and she goes, you need to tell that story more often. I said, oh, no, that, that's it. You just saw it. One and done. And then sure enough, I get a call from a local college down here, University of South Carolina. They said, can you come speak to our psychology interns? And I bombed. <laughs> Here's a successful story for you. And I, they introduced me. You know, this guy lost two brothers. I never heard myself introduced like that. I start crying. Bomb. So then I get a call from College of Charleston, and this thing starts organically. They said, we heard you did a great job at USC. I'm like, who's writing my Yelp reviews? I sucked up there. <laughs> so they, I go down there, and I only cry half the time. Then I, I uh, got a call from Charleston Southern. They said, I heard you did a great job at College of Charleston. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is killing me. And I go down there, and right before I go on, I'm a spiritual man. They prayed for me, and it's a Baptist school, and they prayed for me, and they said, hey, before we go on, let's pray for the speaker. That's exactly what I needed to hear because I was freaking out again. You know, they packed it in. This is They call it convocation. It was <laughs> convocation. It was yeah. mandatory for the kids to be there. <laughs> you know, if you, they had to swipe in, swipe out. You know, they get credit. Yeah. So they, they weren't there because of me or the title, you know, suicide prevention with Dennis Kellen. Oh, sign me up. Love it. You know, they were there because they had to be there and they packed it in the room hold held like 220. There's probably 300 kids just sitting in the aisle. I look in like, Oh crap. You know, I'm freaking out. They pray for me. I go on and I, for some reason, I just, this spirit took over and I just wailed. Uh, for some reason I was on fire that night. I brought my pastor with me and we're driving home about an hour and a half. I said, dude, what do you think? Do I have anything with this talk? Is this thing going anywhere? He goes, you got to keep going. He goes, I sat in the back and not one kid was on their phone. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> not, not the answer I was looking for. I wanted to say, you suck and you should go back to your day job. Um, but it was the responses from the kids that kept me going. You know, I'd get Instagram or Facebook messengers messages saying, dear Mr. Gillen, I didn't want to go to your talk. That's how that all starts. I didn't want to go to your talk, which I reply, hey, I didn't want to give it, so we're even. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> they always start, <laughs> jokes on you, I didn't want to be there either. <laughs> that makes two of us. Yeah. But then they would say, hey, but it made, it made a world of difference in my life. One girl came up to me one time at Southern Connecticut University. She goes, hey, after hearing you speak, I feel normal again. Wow. Like, how, how do you put a price tag on that? You know, all, them, all my business aspirations went out the window. And I said, all right, this is what I'm selling. I'm now selling hope. And mm-hmm. off we go. So, and so you go back to that email you sent. You probably felt like dog crap right after you sent it. Probably thinking like, "Oh, pity me!" Right? I mean, I don't know. I I can't imagine. But it was right after that you became a pillow. You know, you became the cushion for so many people to share their story. And then it was like to you, it was it was probably like, "All right, if if I'm going to get over this, now is the time to do it." Because people do look at me like somebody they can console to, somebody that they can share their emotions and their feelings to, knowing that you, I mean, you were in their shoes. You were in a similar position. And I'm sure, like you said, public speaking is the number one fear, but all of a sudden you were the guy that people turned to to hear the words. They, they needed to hear it from you before they were comfortable with it. And now, I mean, you're, you're reshaping lives, you know, like, does that, is that, does that, does that, 
kind of hit you? Does, do you feel like that? Or is it just because it's become something so normal now that maybe it is, it's, it's just public speaking. It's, it's something it's, you're just comfortable with it day to day. No, I feel it every day. I feel it every day. See, I am actually, um, I keep a file in case I ever get callous. Uh, I keep a file of some of these responses. And every time I think about quitting or, you know, this is bull crap. I'm losing money. I'm making money, you know, bad month, good month. Uh, you know, I mean, bad month. I open up that file and I read those responses. And I got one this morning. I did a zoom call yesterday for a bunch of folks that are about to volunteer for the helpline here. Uh, in my official position as a South Carolina Department of Mental Health, I'm a liaison for this grant. We used to have four call centers here in South Carolina. I don't know what the situation is in West Virginia. I could look it up. Um, but now we have one. We have one. And uh, it, it's so these kids were coming in. This is called the VISTA program. And it was our job to pump these kids up and, and get them going. Um, so I did that. And I got a response this morning. And a wonderful uh, kid reached out on LinkedIn and said, this is the reason why, you know, after your call yesterday, this is the reason why I volunteered to, to work on the lifeline. So it happens all the time. So you're right. I don't, I haven't, I'm not gotten callous yes, yet. Um, but we'll, you know, when that happens, I'll have to find something else to do. And I, 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 th I thought about that a lot because I speak all the time about my brothers. And I said, man, if I ever get to the point where I just go, hey, Mark died, then Matt died, hey. Thank you very much, folks. Have a good day. Um, so one time, uh, I, I changed the pictures on my presentation. And it was weird because I forgot I did it. I did it before I went on because I don't want to become numb to this, this calling. Right. And during the presentation, I have PowerPoint. I look up, and I totally, like, punked myself. I forgot I changed the pictures. And I literally had to, like, pause on stage. And I said, folks, I'm sorry. I just remembered I changed the photos of my brothers and it, it got me. So it still hits. And they always say, there's a Swedish proverb out there that says a shared joy is a double joy. A shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And mm -hmm. on the sorrow end, as I keep talking about my brothers, if I keep talking about my brothers, um, the sorrow part uh, will get cut in half, 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 but I'll never get to zero. I'll never get to zero. What's the rule? What's the business rule for that? What is that? Diminishing return isn't something yeah. like that. <laughs> something, something similar to that. I mean, man, that's that's uh, it, it's. I mean, there's so many people right now. I think are are resonating. Maybe not if it, if it's escalated to the point of like suicide prevention, but dealing with mental health and like I, I like that line there, which you just had. How how has you how have you seen uh, changes in it with with the call center? And maybe like right now, if someone's listening to this, what are proactive things that if they're just feeling even just anxious, right? Just borderline anxious, anxiety, the country is in a weird state where it feels like we're all just on our own. And we're going to try to like, I'm going to ride this thing out myself is what it kind of feels like for a lot of people. What are things that you can do? Um, and when do you think maybe professional help is needed? Um, and, you know, what are some of the takeaways that I guess someone listening to this could uh, implement? Well, you know, there is a need for us all to connect, and, and COVID has somewhat closed down some of those connections, which is a bummer. Uh, this is a prolonged, stressful event, and and it's uh, it, it shows as, as of this taping, it shows no signs of letting up. So we we got to buckle up, you know, put our seatbelt on. There's a thing out there. I started reading this thing out of UNC Charlotte, and, and you guys may be interested in this. It's you know, we all know about post-traumatic stress 
disorder, PTSD, PTSD, there's mm-hmm. a thing called post-traumatic stress growth, post-traumatic stress growth. And I'm fascinated with that because if we get through this, and we will, what are some of the positive factors that will occur afterwards? You know, what, what will happen? You know, will we, be, will we be closer? Will we grow more spiritually? Will we uh, be kinder to each other? All these positive aspects of going through a crisis like this. I'm a silver lining kind of guy, and I hope that helps. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. hoping for it. No, I, I am too, Dennis. And I, you know, I, I tend to be, I, you know, I'm an internal optimist. I, I believe in that. Um, it's not to say that we don't accept and, and deal with the hard aspects of life. And sometimes there, there's dark moments, there's challenging moments, but um, putting on, um, it's not your game face, but just uh, like searching for the silver lining is so important. Um, I, th- I think a lot of people would resonate with that now. Um, if you uh, if you could say someone to someone right now who maybe is listening to this, what, what, what's the, what's the one thing that maybe you can get them through? Like, what, what is is it having that silver line mentality? Is that is that so important? That's yeah, that's it's important, but it's hard to do when you're in a depressed state. You know, you have the blinders on, you only see what's in front of you, and, and we have to give grace to those folks like my brothers who who chose what we call in the business a forever decision. So, uh, dovetailing on that, I would tell the listeners of this podcast. Um, it's going to sound cliche, tough times don't last, tough, tough people do. You don't have to be tough. Just don't make a forever decision. Uh, A a suicide is a forever decision. There's no coming back from that. Mm -hmm. And that's an absolute bummer. And there are people that with lived experience, I'm a survivor of suicide loss. There are Mm -hmm. people out there with lived experience, lived experience, who will tell you, one of them is a guy, Kevin Hines, who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Who, who who immediately, the minute his fingers left the rail, said, I made a huge mistake. Instant regret. And we have people that went to that dark place and came back and said, no, I want to live. So there's an ambivalence for folks. And and be, be aware and be honest with yourself. Yeah, there's a party that wants to die. And, and that's a bummer. Not going to sugarcoat it. That, that sucks. There's also a party that wants to live. And let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's stay there for a while. You know, I don't want to sit here and come off with these, you know, cliche answers. I don't, right. it's a tough spot to be in. When Matt died, I went dark, you know, I get it. Couldn't get out of bed. I get it. Um, but just don't make that forever decision. Mm-hmm. Wow. We've all had instances in our life where we look back, you know, it was the worst day ever. And then you look back later and I wish Mark and Matthew were here now. I wish we, you know, we'd be sitting here talking. So listen, that was bad. It's, it's okay now still bad but it was, it's better now so time is an amazing way of healing i mean is that does we, we so much appreciate you coming on because you know we with our podcast we're trying to you know highlight the, the positive aspects of west virginia but but also we've come to realize that shining light on issues like like we just had an individual uh when this airs i guess it'll be last week speak about uh the prescription drug abuse in west virginia mm-hmm. um and really all the related issues that come with that. So we're trying to allow West Virginians to think positively about their state. But to, in order to do that, sometimes I think we have to think and speak about difficult issues. And, you know, as, you, as you've mentioned, 
allowing yourself to be vulnerable. And I, I found this with my business as a financial advisor. I'm very vulnerable with people. That gives them the permission to be vulnerable with me, right? It's kind of like a society, like, or like a, um, just like if I'm like, I do a lot on LinkedIn and I share so much of my feelings. I get dozens and dozens of messages about people saying like, hey, that resonates with me. Um, and I think once you kind of allow, in my opinion, and maybe you would agree, once you allow yourself just on a day-to-day -day basis to kind of share more about yourself, people feel comfortable sharing about their experiences. And through that mutual like vulnerability, a lot of the times healing can occur. Absolutely. And, and shoot, are you guys still there? Yeah, we're still here. Oh, it just disappeared for a second. You made a great point, Cooper. Once that vulnerability occurs, what happens, especially among men, 78% of all suicides are guys. I want to coach everyone to say, be the first one to make that move. Mm -hmm. You know, be the first one. Say, oh, you know, Dennis, say, do you got this? No, I don't have this. All right, all right. Neither, neither do I. And that's when the minute I was vulnerable, these wonderful people flowed into my life. So mm -hmm. there's no shame in that stigma, my butt. You know, let's be done with that. Mental mm -hmm. health is just as important as your physical health. It really is. Um, it, it most certainly is. And I mean, Dennis, we, we spent 40 minutes with you here. This, this is probably, I'm going to say it's the most important 40 minutes we've had on the podcast because this affects millions and millions of people um, in West Virginia and globally. You know, this is not uh, an issue that is reserved for certain sectors of society. Everyone deals with stuff like this. Um, so I hope that we can play a small little part in, in helping you share your tremendous message and the work that you do. Um, so I just, again, uh, appreciate it. CJ, if you have any last thoughts yeah, for before, us, um, before we do go, let's, let's end this on a positive note. What are the, I think Cooper did ask you a little bit about this, but what are the things that people can take away from all of this? You know, what, what are the, the signs of somebody, we all know somebody that's going through something right now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how, what are the things that we can do to help? Is it by, you know, and how do you even ask somebody like, look, I, I think you're struggling, but I'm not going to straight up tell you, I think you have, you know, you, you need help or anything like that. What are ways that maybe even we can, you know, provide some aid or some comfort mm -hmm. to other people that we think might need it? Sure. The first thing you do is take care of yourself. Um, that you, you can't be a good caregiver if you're not taking care of yourself. That's why when you're on an airplane, the air mask falls down. They say, put yours on first, then help others. All right. So take care of you. Be aware of your uh, mental health. And I would say anyone out there should have a safety plan. And a safety plan is something simple. And I, I could send them to you all if you want. It's something simple. It's like, when I feel like this, I need to be aware of it. But I also can get out of it by going here or talking to these folks, you know, having a plan when you when, when you go dark. Uh, I know if I start really getting down and out, I need to go in the woods, I need to go hiking or something, somewhere where I feel small. That's my positive coping skill. I have a garden now. I never used to garden. I go out there and pull weeds just to get out of my head. Uh, you know, still a lot of weeds in there. So but yeah, I got a lot of issues. Uh, I'll get to them. It'll look good by the end of this weekend. So send in a positive note, just be aware of the signs and the symptoms and you go to you type in, you know, signs of suicide, be aware, talk, behavior, mood, Some, something's off. They say we have three brains based on nerve endings, one in our head, one in our heart, one in our gut. Sometimes you got to go with your gut. If something's wrong with somebody, there's a, there's a way to say, it. come on their side of the table. Um, just say something like, you know, someone with all that you have going on, maybe thinking of suicide, are you thinking of suicide? And just say it, say the S word, get it out. 
if the, you can't put it in their mind, you know, that's, that's been proven. You can't, if you say it, you're going to suggest it bull crap to that. Um, mm -hmm. But they'll also know if they're not thinking about, it, they'll know that you're someone who cares. So it's win, win, win all around. So don't be wow. afraid to say the word. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Again, th thank yeah. you so much, Dennis. Um, you know, it's uh, a lot of folks listening. This is going to help hopefully hundreds, if thousands of people. If we our viewership, I think this is going to be one of our, our best episodes because of the important subject, not to diminish the other guests or the other subjects, but this is such, um, it's a human thing and it's a relatable thing. And, um, you know, we appreciate your time. Thank you for representing West Virginia. Um, you know, <laughs> very well the That's West Virginia it. pride you your shirt. Yep. Um, so thank you again, Dennis. And uh, for folks listening, connect with Dennis. He's on LinkedIn. Um, he is a, a mental health advocate, a mental health um, expert, and will, I'm sure, will take a phone call and speak with you and, you know, do his best that he can to help you. So Dennis, the Mountain Your Media Podcast is, uh, we're better for having you on and we thank you again. I appreciate you guys taking on this subject. Remember, I, I was an accounting major, so I don't know how much help. I, get. I, I often tell people to go get professional help. <laughs> that I do tell them, but I was grateful for those four years at WVU, and it, it shaped my mind and my image positively about the good folks uh, from West by God, Virginia. Thank you, Dennis. Thank like you, guys. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to that episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. You know, Dennis was an individual who we, we felt obligated to get on here because of he's a, you know, he's a good individual. We felt like he was a good person, but then hearing his story and then hearing the work that he does now as an advocate for mental health and suicide prevention, you know, it was just a no brainer to have him on here. So, um, you know, life takes you sometimes in hard, dark places, but, you know, listen to people like, uh, like Dennis, you can, um, you know, put it in perspective, persevere, learn how to cope and, uh, you know, keep enjoying this this thing we have called life so i enjoyed this conversation our goal is that it helps many many people um and again we can't reiterate if you do have experiencing some of these thoughts or down this realm please reach out to a professional um and uh you know we, we were happy to facilitate this conversation but um cj what, what were some of your takeaways i mean can you even imagine your brother dies you're in school and then the road to recovery after that is a long one. And he started to pull himself out of the hole that he had kind of buried himself in after his first brother had died. But then a second brother dies, the second brother commits suicide. I mean, I can't even fathom, you know, walking that path of life. Uh, but the big takeaway for me, you know, it's how do you respond after things like that happen? And, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about it too. It's like, it took him a while to crack his book open. He didn't even talk about it with anybody, but now he's the guy that starts the conversation and he's the guy that gets other people to start the conversation and ultimately helps heal those people who have gone through similar experiences. So, uh, you know, again, we hope you learned something from this and we're going to keep them going. We're, uh, you know, going to be talking about the heavy topics and the light ones as well, but uh, certainly uh, now that we're 11 episodes in, I think you get a pretty good feeling of what to expect from the Mountaineer Media Podcast. So we thank everybody for tuning in and listening, as always. And uh, we'll be back more next week. Take care.